This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And here we are again. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your humble host, John Allen. Uh, for those of you who are watching me on YouTube, that's where I want you to be. That's where, Look at these beautiful, smiling faces here. I want you to be watching. Uh, but, of course, you can listen uh, on any uh, major podcast platform of your choice. Uh, regardless, if you look in the com, I'm sorry, if you look in the description of this episode, you will see three links where you can click in if you'd like to give a donation to support my work and what I'm doing here on the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. So, here we are, Tommy Gary from Freight Farms. You are installation, uh, or I'm sorry, installment number three of the Freight Farms series, if we can call it that. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Tommy. Welcome. Thanks so much, John. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, like I say, you're the, you're the third uh, part uh, of this this uh, so-called series. Let's call it a series. First, I spoke with Caroline. Mm-hmm. Then I spoke with Mario, and now it's you. And this, this I believe, is a testament to the interest that I have in freight farms and what you guys are doing, um, how you guys can potentially change uh, the very fabric. And, and, I, and I don't say that uh, glibly, uh, the very fabric of American society. When I think about food deserts, uh, and what that means to city environments. And also mm. when I think of the ecological footprint that traditional farming has and freight farms counterbalances that. What, what does all that mean to you? I have my view of what all that means to me, but what does that mean to you as an employee at freight farms? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I, I don't even give you time to breathe. We're just jumping right into the. <laughs> we're, we're jumping right in. We're jumping right in. Sorry, you man. That. <laughs> no, it's it's all good. Too, it's too all much good. coffee. Blame it on the coffee. <laughs> and mine hasn't kicked in yet, so we'll we'll see how this goes. But um, I think in, in regards to our impact and our overall mission, you hit it right on the head. That's that's a critical reason why the team has grown to where it is today. So just over uh, the last year and a half, two years with the effects of the pandemic, it's really been a perfect catalyst for the company. And as a result, we've grown and the the team is now twice the size as it was in 2019. And I think you've, there's just been this sort of macro global recognition about um, how do you, how do you join occupation and purpose with um, impact? Yeah. and I think I came to that realization on an individual level, but there's also, like I said, this global recognition of that. Um, so for me personally, I see the ag tech world, the agricultural world and improvements within that vertical, let's call it as one of the most tangible ways you can have impact, um, on this planet that we live on from an environmental standpoint. And, and that's where I started to gravitate towards. And I think my colleagues would share the same sentiment. It's, it's quite interesting that this is yet again, an example of a period of growth in spite of the pandemic. Um, you said, uh, part of what you said now is that this, this, uh, you, you, you guys have kind of capitalized or you, or you've seen a window that is open. How so, how has, um, uh, I, I would think, I, let me, let me just make a guess here. I would think that there are people, there are individuals who may have lost their job, 
or maybe they didn't lose their job. Maybe they were able to work from home, but they, you know, I, I sure have reflected a lot more than I, and I'm quite the reflective person in general, but especially now over this past year with more time at home, more time isolated, mm -hmm. could it be that that introspection, that period of, of reflection has led people into this purpose called uh, humanity, this purpose called the environment, and then seen freight farms and you guys' methods as a catalyst to bring that, that, that thing to life. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, I think that's a really interesting scope and lens that you look at that with. And I think you're absolutely right. I, a big part of my job is talking with prospective farmers and you hear a lot of that sort of sentiment on our conversations. It's, um, you know, you've, you've had this moment of introspection. You've seen what's going on on a global scale uh, in regards to the coronavirus, but also it's a, it's impact on the economy and, and supply chain. And, yeah. and people are now reconsidering different ways and different processes of things. Um, so I think that is certainly encouraging a new wave of freight farmers coming to us. Yeah. Um, but on a, on a sort of macro level, this is typically how I think I, I see the larger, or I try to look for the larger yeah. trends. Um, you know, the, the coronavirus, I think, has really exposed the challenges and, yeah, the challenges with global supply chain. It's amazing that we have this interconnected economy, but there presents some challenges with that, yeah. especially when it comes to specialization. But supply chain, I think it, it's no secret. You see incidents like the Suez Canal and, and yes. production in China being just over overflowing right now, but you don't have the freight carriers to, to yeah. get goods across the planet. Um, those I think are pieces to the puzzle in that there's this recognition that the supply chain right now is incredibly stressed and yeah. particularly the food supply chain. Yes. Um, communities we've seen here in the United States during the pandemic, you go to your local grocery store and there would be a very limited supply of fresh produce. Um, that, that trend has caused people not only on an individual level, but in a, a municipal, yes. a institutional, a corporate level to rethink how can we mitigate that risk within the supply chain? So how does how Freight Farms also, do that then? Yeah. So our, our purpose, our mission is all about democratizing access to fresh food. I'm sure Caroline yeah. said that to you in, in our, that's like our trademark. And Mario is um, living it. So <laughs> Exactly. And Mario is living it and he's living it very well. Uh, we're really excited about this, the work that he's doing and, yeah. and where he's going to be in the future. Yeah. But um, Freight Farms is essentially addressing that by essentially saying that the current food production system that we have in place, let's take for the U.S., for example, where a large portion of our fresh produce comes from the Southwest in California yeah. and is distributed throughout the, throughout the country. That, that supply chain, that domestic supply chain alone has been significantly stressed. So um, what are the impacts when you can bring production to a community firsthand yeah. where logistics and um, farm to table, that period of time is potentially minutes or hours. Think about it. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's an amazing impact. Um, not only 
not only from a food production standpoint, but food quality, nutritional standpoint, um, also economic standpoint, providing jobs and, and um, sort of micro markets and micro opportunities for, for people. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been a really fascinating trend to see on the front lines and well, yeah. one, well, one thing I was looking at was um, just yesterday I saw on CNN that they were talking about um, the drought throughout the Southwest and in the, and the, and the mm-hmm. West in the United States. And it's gotten to the point where they're going to stop calling it a drought. They're just going to call it the normal condition is that there, there ain't no water. <laughs> <laughs> no water. And, 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 and then thinking about how freight farms is so economical when it comes to water usage. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much you can talk about the technical aspect of that, but that alone yeah. and the potential to not only maintain the supply of fresh vegetables in these, in these drought laden areas, but it could actually, it could actually increase the production through the methods that freight farms use. Can you talk a little bit about the, 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 the economy of it, the, 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 the smart usage of both soil, water, and nutrients in freight yeah, farms and what that means absolutely. and what that can mean for both the supply chain and the production line? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's one of the, the largest propositions that we offer our prospective farmers and why we see so much interest from areas, different geographic and topographical areas, uh, like a Norway, but also in the Middle East or Caribbean island nations, yeah. all of which geographically very different, yes. but experience the exact same challenges when it comes to resource scarcity and reliance and dependency on food, on the supply chain, food supply chain. So freight farms, we've been around for 11 years and that's given us the opportunity to really refine our technology and improve upon it, not only in our own research and development, but in tandem with our farmers that we've grown with. And a big part of that is striving for the most economic, but also resource efficient technology possible. And we're, we're like, we're very proud as to where the technology is today. Um, So from, from a resource standpoint, um, the farm itself is a 40 by 10 foot freight container. It's sort of your standard size freight container. Um, the growth capacity and the growth space within that container, pending the type of crop that you're growing is anywhere between two and a half and three and a half acres. That's amazing. So that is amazing. Isn't it? It's, it, it's really incredible. I was in our headquarter farms just the other day. We had, we were able to go in person for the first time, which was very neat. Nice. And I stepped into our headquarter farms. And That's we in, had Bo- in Boston, right? In Boston. Yeah, it's right under the 93 freeway, I think. Uh, I always get 90 and 93 mixed up. But I walked in and healthy, full um, heads of chive and mint were growing and the smell of was just so amazing you could just pick it, it must right be, off but it, it must be almost dreamlike to to experience that i'm just putting myself into the sight and the smell of that in a city environment in an urban environment exactly but here is here you have this piece of 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 fabricated nature <laughs> right, right in the middle of that it's it's really incredible you're you're in a very one of the most industrial cities you know, in the Western hemisphere. And then you step into 
this Star Wars like <laughs> um, yeah. environment and you see fresh produce yeah. growing and it's and it's amazing. Um, it that that alone, that sort of experience, I think, makes it super tangible for people. And we're I really can, hoping to bring more more people on site once things loosen up. And, and I can remember uh, Caroline. I can remember Caroline telling me when I spoke with her on 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 her episode when she was with me, talking about how people um, who are working, you know, on site at the headquarters, they use that headquarters farm as a almost like a break area where they can just walk in and just ah, and, and 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 smell the smells and see the greenery and and it just does something with them. And then I kind of extrapolated that line of thought to when I was speaking with Marius. Um, I'm sorry, Mario, and, and asking him what it's like to actually work hands-on with it. And he said it is so mm. therapeutic. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it calms you <laughs> to, to, mm-hmm. to work with this. For, and, and for those who don't know, we're talking about, um, maybe I should have said this at the beginning, we're talking about shipping containers, basically. What are they, 40 square uh, meters, I, I believe? So it's a 40 by 10 foot. 40 by uh, 10 foot, yeah. Freight container. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can't make that conversion yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the proper units right now. Um, so, so it's, it's this enclosed, um, green, uh, vibrant living, uh, uh, farm mm-hmm. <laughs> enclosed and it can be placed absolutely anywhere. As, uh, as long as you have, uh, uh, access to electricity, you, you can do this. It doesn't matter yep. where you are. You don't have to be out, uh, in a rural, uh, uh country, uh, traditional farming area this can be happening in the middle of a, of a city and it does happen in the middle of cities so i, I exactly. say that for the benefit of people who are not familiar i guess i guess i kind of got carried away with my own enthusiasm <laughs> and forgot that maybe people are tuning in for the first time to hear about this yeah yeah you're as the podcast expert i think kudos to you that was i i didn't pick up on that as the third installment i was just kind of yeah add some more, some more color to everything. But, that's but let it be said for listeners, so let it be said for listeners yeah. and viewers, there are two previous episodes with two different people that have strong and meaningful involvement in freight farms. So just Certainly. go back and check out those episodes. Everybody. In fact, yeah. I'll, I'll link to them in the episode description. So yeah, I had to say that for the benefit of, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, there, are two, there are two other, two other components, I think to the, um, the resource conversation that I just want to hit on just so I'm sure. covering your question for, sure. for the listeners here. Um, so we talked about land preservation. So in general, we're talking about 90% less land for comparable grow spaces. That's 90%. Being used with, yeah. It's, it's really quite something. And then you're, you know, you can't stack a soil based farm operation. You can't no, put land no. on top of land, but you no. can put containers on top of containers. And that's where, that's part of the fold and it's part of the puzzle of economies of scale here and why scalability and building an actual business around this is, is um, um, it presents a significant opportunity for a lot of people. The second component is in terms of water consumption. Um, there are two main tanks within the farm, one that's dedicated for a nursery station, the other that's dedicated for the main cultivation area. It's a closed loop system, but in terms of the actual consumption that the plants are uh, taking on a daily basis, approximately five gallons of water, which again, if you look at a comparable grow space, two and a half, three and a half acres, it's just about 99% less water. 
That's amazing. That is absolutely, and that's why it fascinates me when I see what's happening with the with the the drought situation in the southwest and west, and what mm-hmm. you guys can do. It is it's I mean, it it solves problems. It literally mm-hmm. solves problems. And the southwest in particular, like um, you know, Southern California, is really notorious for importing water yes. to sustain the. Yeah the culture and, and the society that is that, that now resides there sourcing from first the Rockies and then going Pacific Northwest and yeah. now looking South. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's sad to see that that's, that's the results of it. But yeah. um, you know, I think it's, it's small solutions like this that have tangible impact in a number of different areas, right? Yeah. You can, consume less water, but how else can a freight farm be leveraged, not only in food production, but impact on the youth and philanthropic ventures and economic stimulus? So many different avenues where, you know, the the more sort of solutions that we can come up with, not just freight farms, um, but generally speaking, I think will lead to long-term benefits for those communities. Can you talk about the viability of it as a business model? I mean, it is, uh, uh, for me anyway, as someone who is extremely interested, but I haven't gotten actively involved in it, it looks fairly straightforward and simple mm-hmm. um, to turn into, uh, when it comes to turning it into a viable business and a, a business that one can actually live off of and profit from. Um, yeah. Uh, of course, there's the there's the, uh, the effect that, that, that it can have on the, on the near community, you know, on, on, on the greater society. <clears throat> but there's mm-hmm. also that rather uh, necessary ego, egotistical thing, which means I have to make a living. And this is something mm-hmm. that someone can make a living from. Can you talk right. about that from the initial point of interest for the individual to where it actually becomes a working business? How long and how difficult a path is that for an individual? Yeah, well, I think that's a great question. The... So we currently have approximately 400 farms worldwide, uh, 33 different countries, and um, just about all 50 states. The majority of those farmers are small business, what we would identify as small business entrepreneurial farmers, about 60 to 70%, um, which I think speaks towards the viability of freight farms as a business. Now, do you, do you know I how think, many, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just, I just want to p- plug in this question. Do you have an idea yeah. of how many, what's the average number of containers that these uh, individual farmers have? Are they mostly sitting a, with one or is it, you know? That's a great question. I'd say, um, I, I don't have a good answer for you okay. um, off the top of my head. A lot of our customers are repeat customers because okay. where you start to see economies of scale, and significant ROI is with that third and fourth container. I see. So meaning you can start to realize synergies. You can yep. start to cut costs in management and operations as well as distribution um, that allow you to, while also ramping up production right. and maintaining a premium product, commanding a high price point, and therefore driving top line and overall bottom line. So then having, so having three or four containers or possibly even more is not uncommon in the freight farms right. world. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so we, what we typically, because this is a new, you know, farming as a practice is nothing new, but farming in a freight farm, that is still a relatively new concept. Yeah. So what we typically see and what we recommend is starting 
is taking the crawl, walk, run approach if you're doing this for a for-profit venture. Yeah. Let's start with one container and let's make sure that one, you feel really comfortable with the technology and how to grow with it and um, the yeah, just the comfort on operating yeah. it by yourself yeah. while also finding your niche within your local market, yes. the channels of distribution and your customer base that you're going to be targeting. Once you've mastered those and have some cash flow, let's start thinking about scaling to that second and that third container. Because from what I understand, you guys are quite helpful in establishing, um, you know, the supply chain and reaching out and, and, and making contacts so that you have a market for your, uh, so that the individual has a market for their vegetables. But of course that takes brain power work and, and, and networking from that individual. So it's not like, Hey, freight farms help me get this started. And then the, the, the farmer just kind of leans back and you guys step in. It's not that way at all. It, it requires a little sweat from the individual, but it's, but at the same time, it's not difficult. I mean, you, you don't have to be a farmer from before you can come into this. Can I say green? You can come into this with no experience. You whatsoever. certainly can. <laughs> that would, it's, it's a great, it's a great pun. Um, in other you're, words, it's doable. Right. The, the average person can do this, correct? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'd say to maybe to back things up here and for the audience, I'll tell you a little bit about my job. My, my official title is an account executive. I'm on the sales and business development team here at Freight Farms. And what my job ends up being most of the time is essentially being a business consultant where we realize Freight Farms as a company is not a franchise. We are essentially a manufacturer. We provide a toolkit. However you want to use that toolkit is totally up to our customers. So for those that are looking at this as a for-profit venture, a big part of my role then becomes, okay, what are your financial and production goals? We're going to build a project slash business plan based off that. We're going to outline financial models for you. We're going to chart out what potential avenues for distribution are, um, if there's any financial support that's needed, we'll, we'll help assist them in that process. We don't actually provide financing, but we'll assist them in engaging financiers. So it's, it's very much a business consultation. Um, and that is, we take that very hands-on white glove approach yeah. to ensure that when people are making this pivot, after they've gone through this introspection, they're looking for this new career and making a shift that they feel very confident executing on that plan and that we're going to meet those goals. So yes, very doable. There is work that is needs to be done, not only from a grow, you know, growing and farming standpoint, but also building your business. Yeah. And we, we can advise on, you know, how much time you're, you're willing to, to work and spend on this. We can advise on different models to, to adopt that might be suitable for, for your needs and your, your now, business. Now as a, um, well, I, I probably have already answered my own question before I even asked it. I was going to ask as a, as a business, uh, consultant or, or, or freight farms as, as a business, why would freight farms not, um, um, you know, you advise or you help people to get financing. Why would freight farms not finance these individual, uh, entrepreneurs, but then, I guess the answer is, is because Freight Farms is not a franchise 
So that, yeah, there's my answer, I guess. Right. So <laughs> I, I, that's part of it. Yeah. Um, certainly as an organization, we can, you know, we can go through a certification process where we become an official financier. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think that is part of our future. It's yeah, a little uh, above, my, think, above my pay grade. Well, but, I, I, my thought was that it would put you guys in a position to push freight farms out there even more um, aggressively, uh, you know, uh, uh, be even more prolific if you guys were actually a financial um a financial source for people who want to, you know, it, it, it kind of cuts out the middleman and shortens the process so that people can get started quicker. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, the, the investment that farmers need to make for one container, let alone three containers, it's, you know, it's no, it's not chump change that we're talking no, here. No. Um, it is, it is an investment. So you're absolutely right. If we're able to provide financial assistance, it would certainly yeah. escalate things and allow us to provide, um, just more support for our farmers and and getting more farms out the door, um, which is as a business, we we would love to do. I think it is part of our roadmap for the future because um, like I said, more often than not our farmers, especially individual and the small business farmers, they are going to be looking for some sort of financial support. So you're absolutely right. If we can provide that eliminates additional steps and tasks of, approaching financiers and third parties. All right, right. I love it when I'm right. I say I have good ideas every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> once in a while. Once John, in a while. You're, you're, you're right more often than not, man. <laughs> hey, man, could you please tell that to my wife? <laughs> she finds a way to politely... She's got a recording now, so you can just show her this. <laughs> she doesn't watch this. She has no idea. She doesn't even know what my podcast is called, for God's sakes. <laughs> No, she finds a way to politely call me an idiot every day. Politely, though. <laughs> and you're a rock star over there. Sometimes it's oh, important to be kept humble. You know what? I am so I'm so humble as long as I'm living in this house with that woman. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Snoopy. I love you. <laughs> no, she um, she's something else. She uh, she definitely keeps me humble. Um, no, uh, but back to this whole thing about, um, um, you know, the average Joe or Jane who wants to get started in this, um, it, I get the impression when I read you guys' literature online and, and, and I've watched your videos and I've seen, you know, and speaking with, uh, uh, with Mario and, uh, and with Caroline, it, it's, um, like I say, it seems doable, uh, but at the same time, you, you can't expect everything to go smooth. But you guys have an internal, let's call it educational system, correct? Don't you guys have a facility that farmers uh, can go to to learn techniques and whatnot? Can you talk a little bit about that? I don't know if that's your specialty or not, but maybe you can say a little bit of something to that person who's on the fence and says, wow, I would love to do this. But, oh, my God, it's, you know, John's saying it sounds doable, but I don't know how to farm. So yeah. what, do you, what do you say to that person? What do you guys have in place um, to support them? Absolutely. I'd say you are, you're not alone. Um, we fully recognize that this is a relatively new practice and methodology um, and approach to farming. With that being said, I think the most critical component to our offering is our client services team. This is a, a stellar cast of people that, they're a series of agricultural, technological, horticultural experts that 
are not only responsible for training and onboarding our new farmers, but are there to support them throughout the lifetime of the farm. Okay. So it's not like once they've, uh, you know, paid uh, for their container and gotten their education from you guys and they Mm -hmm. get started, you guys don't just say adios and good luck. You guys are there. We, at the end of the day, because we are not a franchise and because there are so many different use cases and ways to, to leverage the technology, we want to equip them with all the knowledge and know-how to go fly on their own. Yeah. That would, that would be great. Um, just so they, you know, we don't, we don't have to take that big brother approach where we're looking over their shoulders all the time. That being said, um, we want to be there in the event that there are questions and that support is needed. So I think the, the fact our global footprint is, I think a testament to the sort of repeatable, scalable process that we have um, in supporting customers, not only domestically, but internationally as well. Right. Um, So questions regarding the technology and the platform itself, we're there for that. Questions on best practices when it comes to growing certain produce or experimentation, or uh, perhaps you're just trying to engage with uh, the network itself, the network of farmers that is. I'd say that's sort of a sub- category or um a sub a subunit of our support is that because we're focused on a localized approach to food production it's very rare if ever do our farmers come up against one another in a competitive fashion so i think and our leadership i think recognize that very early on and uses that to our advantage so Uh yeah um we have we have events on a consistent basis where we're inviting existing farmers and new farmers to engage with one another. Um, we highly encourage and have the platform now through our software where farmers can engage one another, share experiential anecdotal information, but also the quantitative information, data points on what are the best practices to growing a butterhead lettuce and what sort of variations and tweaks can I do to optimize that head or change the texture and taste. I see that some of these people are, yeah, and I see that some of these people are real good about blogging about their experiences with freight farms, uh, both written and video blogs on YouTube and stuff, talking about what, you know, what they're experiencing. And it's so, um, you know, it just kind of reinforces my idea of, of, the viability of that platform. It reinforces the image I get of it being a, a group of people who are, like you say, they're not in competition with each other. They're trying to, to learn from each other and support each other. And when I see these blogs that are put out in some of the videos that, uh, that you guys put up, it just reinforces that thought. I mean, it's, a, it's great marketing and there's no falsehood in it at all. It's, mm-hmm. it's a straightforward account of how people are, are managing uh, the freight farms platform and it just makes it look attractive. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I'd say it's um, not only for prospective farmers and new members to our community, it's super valuable for us as a company as well. And sure, I think it's direct feedback. We, we won't, it's direct feedback. Um, but when we have farmers like, um, you know, Demario is, is a great example of this. He started experimenting with, with CBD and yeah. cannabis yes. and is now fully pursuing that. And, Um, he's been an excellent resource for us on sort of research and development that it takes to really refine our technology. That's going to be suitable for that plant that happens on the macro scale. And it's so 
uh, super helpful for us in our own research and development, but we can then take that feedback and disperse it to the entire community. There you go. Yeah. So everyone reaps the benefits. I think you guys are doing a fantastic job and it, it seems like it would be such a fun place to work. You know, I'm talking about the headquarters, you know, the people at the, you know, people like you and Caroline, you guys just really seem to be enjoying your job. You guys are always smiling and there's the sense of humor and you guys, I'm sure you guys are working hard and doing a lot of work, but you guys don't seem stressed at all. Um, <laughs> are, are you, uh, are you've, you've been working pretty much from home. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So where, I'm, where are you oh, located? Where, where are you located now? I'm currently in the great state of Maine. Um, so a few hours North of Boston, I was, uh, formerly in park city, Utah, uh, kicking it out there while I was, while I was working remotely. And, that's right. Um, that's why I got the time messed up because I put the time <laughs> as if you were in, I think I was thinking central time or something, but you're on the East. See, that, that I'm, explains I'm, it. Yeah, that explains I like it. to stay off the radar. I'm, I'm a hard man to track. I yeah, like to you are, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I, I'm relatively new to the company. I'm, I would actually say that I'm no longer a vet at this point. Or actually, I would say I am a vet at this point. No I'm longer, no longer a, rookie. a newbie. Yeah, no longer exactly. A rookie. Yeah. Um, but I'm only five months in. I started in January, and oh, we've been recent. remote since then. Yeah. What did you do before? Um, so I I was formerly from the software world. I'm sorry. Are you getting a little background noise? No, not at all. Can you hear anything? Okay, perfect. Um, There's medication for that. <laughs> <laughs> Those voices in your head, they can they. <laughs> And do you want to talk to my wife? She's a psychiatric nurse. She can- <laughs> I might take you up on that. It's been one of those weeks. Um, what was I saying? So prior, yeah, prior to Freight Farms, um, I graduated from Bowdoin College, which is a small liberal arts school up here in Maine. Okay. Um, so I have a very strong affinity for this place. I have to imagine it's somewhat, it is. Thank you. I, I know from your travels and your I believe truck driving has yes. come through here a few yes. times. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think one of the most underappreciated places on the planet, um, or at least in the U S but I can imagine very similar to a Norway. I've never been to Norway, but um, topographically speaking, yes. somewhat similar. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Interesting. So I, so I graduated from college in 2017. I immediately went into uh, an account management role in, uh, in the software world at a company called LogMeIn. And uh, it, it was one of the largest software companies in the world at the time. And our focus was, we operated in three, business, three main business units, um, remote connectivity, support, and uh, communications, as well as uh, cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, and it was a fantastic experience. Really enjoyed the people that I worked with. Um, acquired, I think, a, a lot of skills that um, I may not have gotten in other entry-level roles and am super appreciative of that. But um, I got to a point where I was sort of plateauing what I was learning and was looking to make that next move and provide okay. into a new into a new space. So um, how long were you with that company before you started to feel that urge to move on to get more uh, challenges? So I was with them for three and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how and far into, and how far in, oh, so it's at three and a half years, that's pretty much when you decided you needed to gotcha. move along. Good, good question. Um, no, I'd say um, 
you know, probably, probably around the three year mark, um, that I started feeling this urge to, uh, so, find, find the next step. So you didn't accept the status quo for too long. Some people do that. They'll have a feeling that they need to move on, but they don't for sometimes years mm-hmm. at a time. And then the bitterness sinks in and <laughs> their productivity goes down and so on and so on and so on. But it sounds like you did something with that feeling. You, you did get out, you did go further and, and, and change direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to say, I, um, I was very lucky not to have been impacted by COVID. A lot of people were. Yes. Um, I was very fortunate enough where my company, since we're all focused on remote connectivity is actually sort of the perfect storm for us. Business was very good. Um, but I, I still, despite how well we were doing, I wasn't getting that sense of utility and fulfillment in what I was, what I was doing, what I was selling. If I was going to be selling something to the community and providing it, I wanted to be something that I'm going to believe in that I know is going to have tangible impact. I've never, Um, I've never understood people's willingness to just keep on spinning their wheels in a career that doesn't stimulate them in some way. mm. So again, hats hats off to you for making that change. Cause a lot of, a lot of people don't, unfortunately, a lot of people don't, they'll just keep spinning their wheels. There's no progress. mm -hmm. There's no new challenges and the bitterness sits in and then, yeah. uh, yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I think, you know, People, you come across, I'm sure you come across this in your discussions, all the different people that you, that you meet with and you bring onto this podcast, people's circumstances are so variable. They're so different. Um, And some people, some people are required to accept the status quo because it is steady. It is um, consistent, you know, consistent pay if they're supporting a family or something like that. Um, Right, right. I was at a period in my life where I didn't have those responsibilities and I was fortunate enough to be in a position where I could take some risk. Um, and I think for those that are able to do so in this really fast moving world that we live in and we find ourselves, um, if you find yourself in a position where you don't feel like you're growing or learning, I think it's a really dangerous place to be. That and is a beautiful was, statement. That is a be- people, <laughs> you know, say it out loud for the people in the back. That is so important. <laughs> you have to, no, I don't want to interrupt. I'm sorry. Keep going. That's, I mean, that's a beautiful thought. It is. I, I, thank you. Um, I, yeah, I'm not sure I had more to, to ask <laughs> that, but I think in order to stay, especially if you're, if you're in business, yeah. you know, for profit ventures and verticals, if you want to stay relevant and competitive, always learning, always acquiring new skills and positioning yourself to, um, you know, to excel is, is really, really important. And when I started having that recognition at my, my first job that I was, okay, I'm not, not really learning anything. I feel like I'm not challenging myself. What can I do to improve? Um, I started, I started, uh, I pursued a certificate of advanced management at Babson's uh, Olin MBA school okay. uh, or business school. Um, I did that at night to round out my skill set that I felt that I was lacking in order to get to the next step. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was pursuing that while also working yeah. and uh, then started to look for this next job um, and ultimately ended up at freight farms. But I think it's again, um, 
the uh, comfort and complacency I've been taught is a very dangerous thing. Um, I think in general, in life, and and this is in life, it's not necessarily just in the aspects of of, of a business life or a career. I think in life, period, if you get in a situation where you don't feel like you're learning new things, if you don't feel that you are... Uh, strengthening yourself, then it's time to do a really deep introspective search and figure Mm. out what your real purpose is and then act on that. And that will lead you to the new knowledge that'll lead you to the building of your own. um, I always, I I use a metaphor of having a a backpack full of life experience that. uh, That backpack is full. (laughs) It's full. Well, you know, the the fuller it is, and here's the thing to continue the metaphor, the fuller that backpack is, the heavier it is. And Mm -hmm. the heavier it is, the harder you have to work to carry it. And then the harder you work, the stronger you get, which will then in turn make the load lighter. And that's a process that it should Mm -hmm. never stop in life. And again, you can apply that to, um, you can apply that to everything you do, whether it's your career, whether it's your family life, your social mm-hmm. life, your friendships, uh, your physical fitness, your mental fitness. You know, you've got Absolutely. a backpack there with experiences that you can then use to train yourself further along that path of life. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you, ca- I mean, you're a young cat and a lot of young people, a lot, a lot of young people never, they, they, they never contemplate these things, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm young, I'm a 20 something and life is fun and I'm having fun and, and fun and fun and fun. And, right. and, and they miss the lessons that they could learn that could actually a- allow even more room for that fun part of life because you've yeah. learned those lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate that. I, I might be a young cat, but I consider myself an old soul. <laughs> young cat, um, or you consider yourself an old dog? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I was I was very fortunate. I can't I can't um, understate how how fortunate I was to have the upbringing that I did, the education that I did, the family that I did. You were born uh, in be, New York. That's right. Yeah. I was born and raised in New York, uh, Westchester, New York, and, um, solid, just, just North of the city, solid education, solid family, good, good, amazing. Good role yeah. models. Exactly. Beautiful. Exactly. Beautiful. The, it's, it was, um, the, the perfect recipe to help me get where I am today. And I can't, you know, I'm, I'm nothing without those feet, those people in that network. Um, That's just beautiful. <laughs> yeah, well, we are, I, we I are the sum, that. we are the sum of our near environment. Meaning family. Totally agree. You're the product of the people that you spend time with. And, um, it's you, you, I feel like you've, um, that's, that's a really interesting metaphor for you with all the people that you've spoken to, but um, something that I've, I always try to embrace and, and a mantra that I live by. It's actually some of the best advice I've ever gotten. I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but before going to college, um, my brother, my best friend, uh, he just gave me a piece of advice and he just said, Tommy, give everyone a chance. Wow, and, yeah. um, cause you never know who's going to be your best friend or who's going to, you know, Isn't pick that you true? up when you've, when you've fallen down. Or, Isn't that so true? Yeah. Um, yeah. and words that I, words that I try and live by, which is difficult to do in a pandemic. Um, and kind of coming full circle here when we're talking about career path and life changes, when you're confined to a single environment without these interactions, without these experiences with um, this feeling of limitation, it's really hard 
to try and think introspectively on where where you're being limited and where you can make change and then acting on those changes yeah. and seeing tangible results. Um, so it's, it's a, not an easy practice going through it's not. Uh, a career or life change, but there are, there are tools that you can use to start thinking about it and start outlining what a plan of action. Exactly. That comes back to that solid upbringing, that network of family members and close friends who you can draw on for their experiences. You know, your brother gave you that piece of advice that you're probably going to carry with you the rest of your life. Um, But how, how do you, how do you stay, how do you stay happy? I mean, again, you just, (laughs) I, I said this, you and, you and Caroline working there, you guys just, you just have this glowing <laughs> happiness that you guys are just so satisfied with the work that you're doing. Um, how do you, how do you not, how does that satisfaction not turn into complacency? You know, are you still, are you still pushing boundaries? Are you still trying to, you know, expand your wealth of knowledge at freight farms and the work that you're doing now? Absolutely. And, um, you say, you say I, that cause your I, boss might be listening, right? <laughs> well, I mean, whether, whether I'm trying to or not, it's still such a new space for me that sure, I sure. feel like every single day I'm learning something new yeah. and I'm not even, it's not even through my own pursuit. It's just circumstantial. Exactly. I'm in and, the right place at the right, pl- exactly. right time. And in all seriousness, you guys are doing important work. I mean, this, the stuff that can happen through freight farms is, I was going to say, can potentially change uh, society, but it is changing society. Again, just looking at what Mario's doing, it's, it's, right. uh, it's, it's changed his neighborhood, which will then change right. that area of the city, which then may change the entire city and so on. I mean, it's exponential. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, um, you know, for people who are motivated by things like that, I consider myself one of them waking up in the morning and yeah. reminding yourself of that taking the time to remind yourself of that, it's really easy to get motivated and get back to work. I think in talking about happiness, and this might be a, a bit of a, a tangent, but um, Absolutely not. I, I'm a, I'm happiness, a firm is, happiness is no tangent on this. <laughs> okay. Um, I love that. Um, I'm a firm believer that happiness is within your control and it is an exercise that you need to, to work on. Um, you know, it, it falls very close in line and in tandem with mental health. And there are, um, you know, there are practices that depending on the type of person that you are, you need to follow in order to make sure that you're staying happy and, um, you know, feeling purposeful and, and things like that. Um, there is so much in this life that is not within our control, Yeah. but I think happiness is one of those things that is, um, despite what people may think, uh, are the elements impacting happiness yeah. and what constitute happiness. Um, there's a lot that you can do to change circumstance or change perspective. Very well and, said. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there, let's, let's set the record straight. I've, I've had some challenges in my day, but there are people who have gone through far worse and it's, it's way easier said than done, you know, but saying that happiness is within your control. Absolutely. But I, and back to I'd that metaphor, that. and back to that metaphor, these challenges that you've met so far. Yeah. There's people who've had worse challenges, but still your challenges are your challenges and your victories over those challenges. That whole experience goes into your backpack. 
And that's something that right. you will draw upon in the, in the years to come. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think about uh, happiness and, uh, and that we are in control of our happiness, you know, you're, you're in control of your happiness and you seem to be controlling it quite well. Is that an <laughs> active, is that an active endeavor? You know, do you actively engage in that reflection and in that introspection? Um, do you consistently evaluate your standing in life when it comes to your own moral code um, and, and whatnot? Is that an active process for you? Certainly. Um, and I think it's become all the more active during the past year and a half, two years with the pandemic because we, uh, as a global community, were confined to not only just a physical space, but uh, as a result, it seems like there is this imprisonment mentally. Yes. Um, I, I, I praise myself for um, taking the steps to um, actively work on how do we how do we break down those barriers and how do we, despite the circumstances, how do we maintain happiness and a, a positive outlook? And it absolutely is an active practice. There are things that I know I need to do during the day that are yeah. going to set me up for a great day, not only to be productive at work, but also engaging with, you know, my friends and family that I love and, yeah. um, going out and exercising and eating well and, and all those things. And that I know at the end of the day, when I get back into bed, I can have a sigh of relief, not relief, but just a sigh of appreciation and gratitude and know that it was, a, it was a great day. It sounds like you have a good view of all aspects of happiness because, um, happiness is not one dimensional. It's not just having that, that fulfilling job. It's not having that good, just having that good salary at the job. It's not just, uh, having a good time on the weekend with your friends. It's all of these things. Mm. Um, and there's things that have to be in place in order to, uh, optimize all of those individual things that encompass the wholeness of happiness. sounds like you got a good handle on that. (laughs) It's a work in progress, which I'd say sure, is for absolutely. It's a never ending. And that's exactly it's none of it is. There's no there's no end point to it all. There's just, you know, the journey along the way, as they say. Um it's it's I'd say constant practice and refining and uh learning from what's working, what's not. Um that I think that ultimately leads to a more consistent happiness level and yeah. um, satisfaction and um, and growth and learning. Um, yeah. I love it. I just, I just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's so enjoyable. And you and I have spoken a lot, you know, this is the first time you've been on my podcast, but we've spoken a lot on the telephone, a couple mm. of, a uh, couple of zoom conferences together. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, I leave every conversation a little bit happier than I was going into it. You just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's the subject matter. I don't know if it's our chemistry as people. I don't know if it's just you, but something when we can't talk, be. it can't be just, <laughs> <laughs> can't be no way. <laughs> but I, I always leave the conversation a little bit better off. And that's, um, that's something to be cultivated. Um, this is, um, uh, I, I don't know. What do we call this? Is this a working relationship? Is this a friendship or is it both? Let's say it's both, but I'm loving it. Both. I'm loving it. It's a journey that I've, that I've, <laughs> started uh with you uh and and again i'm on fire for all things freight farms uh, 
Let me let me the ask. Feeling, feelings mutual. Well, Absolutely. Thank you. thank you, man. Certainly I, uh, look forward to our conversations all the time because I, I know you're you oh you I, I'd say you, your your happiness level, your enjoyment, your aura in general is also it's very intoxicating. So when oh, I leave those calls, you. I'm feeling feeling very rejuvenated as well. But you always have a new story. There's well, always something new going on in the, I, I in the world to, of John I, Allen Reese. I have to keep exploring, man. I have <laughs> yeah. to keep exploring. Filling that backpack. Filling exactly. I was just going to say that filling up that backpack. And again, the he- maybe this is my power lifter mentality. But the heavier it gets, the stronger it's going to make me, and it's mm-hmm. just going to put me in a better position. So it's just, it's it's a never ending thing. It just keeps Absolutely. going, and I'm loving the journey. Let me ask you something, Tommy. I have two things I want you to do for me, if you would, please, uh, before, sure. we, before we wind this up. I'm going to say three words, and then I want you to fill in the blanks afterwards. Okay? Oh, total, total, totally unprepared, but here we go. I've Here's never your, been a wordsmith. <laughs> here, is, here, is your, here is your improv debut, okay? Okay. Saturday Night Live is watching, okay? <laughs> no, this is, this, is, this is fairly simple, straightforward. Tommy okay. Gary is... Uh, I'd say empathetic. I would say empathetic as well. Okay. Tommy, it's just one word. It's just one word, but that's that, but you know what? That says a lot. (laughs) Empathetic is, um, empathetic can be the foundation of so many different things that can lead to progress, both for you as the empathizer, but also for the person or persons, um, with whom you share empathy. Right. And I think in, in the, you know, if we, if we just take the professional scope here, if we're looking at um, empathy within the professional realm, um, for my job in particular, engaging with prospective farmers and potential clients, um, the core of it is around empathy. Um, on being able to understand without having their own experience, being able to understand what their situation is, what, um, what the challenges are, and how we can potentially get them from point A to point B, that ideal future place that they have in mind. Um, but I also think that from like a long-term vision as well as um, uh, my, own, my own personal goals, um, being empathetic allows me to engage with all of my colleagues, I think, in a great way. Um, and also is, as you mentioned, the foundation for really strong relationships, but for an organization that has direction, has purpose, is going to follow that purpose um, and execute on its goals. I think, I think it's um, a, a really critical trait that leadership and all employees at an organization need to have. Um, that's very well stated. I could, that's very well stated. I could picture you giving a uh, uh, like a like a five minute uh, uh, pep talk at some sort of internal uh, seminar at Freight Farms and saying exactly those words. Seriously, saying exactly those words, and people will walk out of it so motivated to 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 go back to their job at Freight Farms and make things better. I mean, that's so well stated. They're always gassing me off, John. I I'm sorry. That. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize I for it. motivating you. I'm sorry. No, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> not. I, I think that's a really interesting idea, and and um, I certainly, you know, I've I've never done anything like that, but I certainly try, 
the same way when, you know, I'm talking to you and, and learning from you, I try and bring that sort of energy to, to all my conversations, well, you especially do well. in this remote world. <laughs> you, no, you do it well. Thank you. You do it well. Absolutely. But in a world where you can't engage with people in office or in person, you don't, you know, you really can't pick up on their energy and um, feed off that. Um, so you have these limited interactions via video conference and, and you gotta, you gotta try and bring every sort of quality that you think can help enable sure. and improve sure. your well, team and, well, and that person on the other end as well. Well, I see this, I see the challenges of, of video conferencing, you know, in this time of, of isolation and, and, uh, and, uh, and COVID-19. Um, I see the challenges in that, that you may miss certain nuances of the personality um, but that's as a receiver of what someone is giving, but as a giver during mm. these video conferences, uh, yes, there is the challenge of projecting what you want to project, but oh my gosh, what you gain by embarking on that endeavor to project your thoughts, mm -hmm. you know, with the, I almost said with the loss of body language, but here I am talking with my hands, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, but you, but you have to, you have to find some way to to to, to get your point across in right. as orga organic a way as you can in this horribly inorganic platform, which is video. Right. Um, so rising to that challenge can mean tremendous growth in communication mm -hmm. skills. I, I I'm getting that on on a daily basis through my podcast. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, I have actually grown uh, immensely through these times of COVID and stuff and, and certainly how fortunate are a, we, how fortunate are we to be able to experience that? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There is, there is certainly some appreciation that needs to be had with the sort of interaction that we're confined to right now with, with video and, and phone calls. But um, I think it's like the age old saying, like you get out what you put into it and Absolutely. if you're going to put in that effort, um, you will, I think, receive it, and what you know, whether it's immediate or whether it's in long run, the, there are long-term dividends to that. Now, to, to wind things up, I want to ask you to do one more thing for me. I want you okay. to imagine yourself. <clears throat> um, you're sitting out on a beautiful hillside there in Maine, <laughs> and you have a randomly chosen cast of my viewers and listeners, and they're sitting there in front of you. Uh, this is at the tail end of a, maybe a three hour long conversation outdoors okay. where you've all just been sharing ideas. You've been leading this discussion, but everyone has been actively taking part and now you want to wind it up and you want to leave them with something that you feel will carry them through the day, maybe through the mm. next couple of days as they travel back home to wherever they live. What would you say to that gathering of listeners? What would you say to them? to lift them up and carry them through the next day or two. I'd first say thank you for listening to me for the last three hours. That's impressive in and of itself. <laughs> I'm not sure who would do that, but um, if, uh, yeah, if I was going to leave a group of people with feeling inspired and motivated, um, one of the, it's another sort of mantra that I lived by that my dad always told me was, um, dare to fail. Um, dare to fail. So, dare to fail. So I'm whatever it is that I'm you're, that down. <laughs> yeah. Dare to fail. <laughs> uh, 
it's um, no matter what sort of project, adventure, job that you have, um, don't be afraid to take risks, calculated risks, not stupid risks, yeah. calculated yeah. risks that are not only going to better that endeavor that you're working on, but they're going to help you grow as well. Um, there's no greater reward without some risk. So you have to be willing and able to, to make that. Um, and in so doing, yes, you might fail, but that's sort of the, the beauty of it is that when you fail, you're going to learn from that experience. And the next time you dare to fail, you can bring that experience with you. And hopefully that leads to ultimate success, whatever success looks like for you. There you go. Wise words from a wise young man, <laughs> Tommy Gary, who is empathetic. Tommy Gary, who says, dare to fail. Tommy Gary from Freight Farms, everybody. Tommy, thank thank you so much for this hour. Um, it's been, in fact, exactly an hour right now. Thank you for this time that you've given me. Again, like I say, I'm leaving this conversation better off than I was before it started. So thank you so Likewise, much. Likewise, John. Yeah, likewise. It was absolute. It was my pleasure. Believe me, it's my pleasure. <laughs> so uh, go on, go forth and uh, <laughs> and do your good works there in Maine, and do your good works through freight farms. I absolutely love the work you're doing, Tommy. Um, Tommy Gary, everybody, be well. Thank you. Thanks, John. Take Thanks. care.